everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael, and I'm here with Andre, and on today's episode, titled The End Times, Sorting It Out, Part 2, we continue last week's conversation on all things eschatology, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium. We try to sort these things out, have a clear and comprehensive conversation, and so we hope you listened to last week and that you join us for this conversation as well. Thanks. What's up, guys? You know, just woke up from my nice break, nap. Um, nap? It's been you know, like one excited. minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, man. We just we just took a short break, guys, and and we're we're excited to jump into into part two now of our discussion on Revelation. <laughs> you know, you say nap. I don't even remember the last time I've napped. Like it could have been like maybe one time in 2020, maybe. Dude, sometimes sometimes a good a good nap is is really necessary, but. I'm glad we just took a short break, and it's still not super late, so we can uh, continue going through our discussion on, on the end times, and, and hopefully it continues to be um, super beneficial for all of you guys who are listening. But just to start off, uh, we, you know, Michael and I realized that uh, it's been been a week for you guys, despite it only, been, uh, only have been just a couple minutes for us, so we want to kind of start off with a quick um, recap, really, it's what it's going to be, of of you know what we discussed last week, um, specifically you know we talked about kind of, we gave a you know brief overview of eschatology, kind of what goes into it. We talked about how um, it's it is a relevant part of um, our theology. It is you know the study primarily of the Book of Revelation, but we see it you know sprinkled throughout the entire Bible from Genesis. Um, we talked about uh, you know the Book of Daniel, the Book of First and Second Thessalonians. So it's it's throughout the entirety of the Bible specifically. We started off with a discussion on the tribulation period um, where uh, we see God's wrath being poured out and judging the sin of the earth, as well as, um, you know, this idea of an antichrist um, persecuting Christians on earth. We also talked about the rapture, um, which is when, you know, the church will, you know, meet Jesus. We discussed how, you know, there's some different viewpoints on, you know, when specifically that happens and we'll get into a lot of that today, and then we also discussed the millennium period, uh, which is the thousand-year period when Jesus will reign on earth, um, that period of peace and harmony that we talked about last week. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, um, I encourage you to go and, and, and take a quick listen to that. Um, if not, uh, pull out your Bible for sure um, and get ready to dive into some of the viewpoints on uh, the book of Revelation and you know kind of the timing and, and why people uh, have dif- disagreements on those so hopefully that was a good recap and now we're ready to dive Dang, in man you're showing our cards early we said we wouldn't give any views till the end and uh you said the millennium is a 1000 year period which basically rules out amillennialism for you and we said post mill isn't very popular so you're a pre-mill i'm calling it right now <laughs> well, we'll see we'll see we'll talk about some some personal viewpoints at the end essentially <laughs> Yeah, so like Andre said, and that was an amazing recap, just a quick couple definitions. We covered uh, two potential viewpoints on the tribulation. Is it literal seven years? Is it not? Three views on the millennium, post, ah, and pre. And so we talked about uh, some details there. And so perhaps more excitingly, but also more technical today, we get to dive into diverging views on the rapture. Is it before the tribulation? Is it during at some point? Is it afterwards? And so we're going to end up focusing on just two of those views. And just to recap before I hand it off to Andre to kind of 
you know, as I said last time, he's our organizational guide waiting us through this. So uh, before I hand it off, just a reminder, as Andre said, rapture is a time when we meet Jesus in the future. And in light of First Thessalonians 4, it's some sort of taking away, snatching away where we're united with Christ and we're given an immortal body. So would you want to take us from here? Yeah, man. So I think it might be the most useful for us to dive into, you know, the, the two viewpoints that we're not going to talk about as much. Uh, just kind of to, you know, maybe just get them out of the way. Um, although, you know, they, they are viewpoints that people have, but we're not going to talk about them as much. So let's, I think we should get those out of the way and then and jump into the others. You want to quickly go through uh, the two that we're uh, not going to talk about as much, the pre-wrath view, as well as the mid-trib view. Yeah, that's, that's fine. And so if you have been with us for a long time, you remember uh, in Nehemiah and in Mark, we had Mike's history lesson. That was two minutes. I'm going to try to do both of these views quicker than that. So we're going to see where we get. Again, like Andre said, these are much less common views, but the mid-tribulation view basically says that the rapture, the the church being taken away from the earth and uh, occurs halfway mid, hence the word, through the tribulation. And so this is after the abomination of desolation that we see in uh, Matthew 24, 15. And then the pre-wrath view. This is a newer view that's kind of taken mid-trib's place in terms of like the third minority view. But pre-wrath just says that the church is not raptured halfway through, but it's at the end of the great tribulation, but before the day of the Lord. And so it essentially says that there is the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the beginning of the birth pains. Then in the middle, the Antichrist ascends to greatness. Then the persecution begins. But before God's wrath is poured out, the church is taken out of this. And so hence the word pre-wrath were removed prior to God's wrath. So that was Mike's uh, mid-trib pre-wrath lesson, hopefully less than two minutes. No, that was that was really good. And now we've really, you know, opened up the opportunity to spend some more time on <laughs> the two views that we're really going to talk about um, for a longer period of time, which are the, you know, pre-tribulation view uh, where, you know, we'll have, we'll go pretty in depth of, potentially, you know, some, some reasons for why this view is, is thought to be true. Um, some other points of scripture you can look to, um, kind of other people that might hold this view. And then same thing for the post-trib, uh, post-tribulation view. We'll kind of do the same thing there, provide you guys with all the facts, the, the supporting scripture, like I said, and kind of just present this as, you know, these are the facts, this is where you can look. This is some resources potentially to get some more information. These are some people that might hold this view uh, without really giving too much of, of our personal viewpoints, but we will touch on our personal viewpoints, um, you know, towards the end here, um, but giving more so, you know, more informational to start off. So let's start off with, let's start off with the pre-tribulation view. So let's jump into that, um, and then and then we'll go. We'll, we'll move on from there. So you know, to kick us off with the you know pre-tribulation pre-tribulation view viewpoint, um, this is kind of you know the viewpoint that the rapture will happen you know before the tribulation period, before those seven years when you know you know when you see um, you know God's wrath, Antichrist um, persecuting Christians, uh, you know think uh, you know middle of the night, you know, rapture happens right before tribulation, um, kind of, you know, the left behind series, you know, type, oh, gosh. um, type sen <laughs> sentiments there. Um, but, um, yeah, let's, let's kind of go into this and, and give, you know, more of an in-depth, 
um, analysis and, and some some viewpoints here. Do you mind real quick if before we get into First Thessalonians and Revelation, I briefly touch on dispensationalism? Yeah, actually, that that might be a super good thing to to get into and, and maybe give some some explanation on what that means as well. Okay, so this is somewhat related, but it's also very related because this view, the pre-tribulation view, is most common when your interpretive lens for the Bible is what's known as dispensational. Uh, Michael Vlock wrote a uh, book on this, and he basically said there's six tenets to dispensationalism. Uh, I'm going to summarize those down to five, hopefully. Uh, Basically, just to hopefully give a very quick overview, uh, dispensationalists, regardless of your type, there's even camps in that, which we're definitely not getting into today, but the primary meaning of a passage is found in that passage. So if it's in the Old Testament, that doesn't mean a New Testament interpretation like supersedes it or reinterprets it versus what it meant in its own time. Point one. Point two, national Israel is not fulfilled in or superseded by the church. The church is not some new Israel, true Israel. Three, there's a future return focus to Israel where they get the promised earthly millennial kingdom. So this is how this uh, ends up focusing on the tribulation, is that dispensationalists will say, the church is raptured up, and then in the tribulation, God turns his focus back to Israel due to their unbelief, and that's why God had ushered in a time for the church, a time for the Gentiles. The fourth point would be that just because the church is referred to as the seed of Abraham doesn't mean that God's promises to Abraham's Jewish seed are somehow gone. And fifth, although the Jews and the Gentiles share unity in salvation via Jesus, Israel as a nation still awaits distinct action from God that's completely separate uh, from the church. And so although it's most common there, you can have a completely pre-tribulation view that has nothing to do with dispensationalism. It's just less common. And so like Andre said, the view is just that Jesus returns before the tribulation, not as a second coming, but just to take the church out. So if you read 1 Thessalonians 4, you see that the church rises to meet Christ in the air. And this is referred to as uh, the rapture, where the church is taken out before uh, the, the tribulation period. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen someone give a summary of six points with five points. So we really, really cut it, really cut it back there. But <laughs> I think, <laughs> dang, what a dig! What a dig! Uh, no, no, no. But it was, it was really good. It was, it was a really good summary of, um, you know, what, what, what we're actually getting into. I think, you know, that first point you brought up, I think, is really, really important to point out that this pre-trib view of Jesus uh, coming to rapture the church, um, specifically the church will like meet Jesus. Um, you know, it's kind of an indication there that people who, um, you know, fall under this pre-trib viewpoint, you know, there's this understanding that this is not the second coming of Christ. Um, you know, there's this idea that, you know, in the second coming, um, you know, when Christ comes and like actually like steps on earth, this is not that. These are like two separate events in this, in the, this rapture event, Jesus doesn't actually like physically come back and like step foot on earth. He's just, you know, in the skies and calls the church up to him. And I think it might actually be relevant or useful to kind of read, as you alluded to First Thessalonians chapter four, you're, you're pulling from like, you know, the like kind of like verse 13 section, but maybe we can read actually like go in and read a little bit more into it. If you want to, um, for sure you go ahead or else I, I can't have it pulled up if, if you, if you want me to. What verse do you want me to start reading in? Probably verse 13. Probably be good. Starting in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica. 
Uh, This is the spirit speaking through him, quote, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." And so those are verses 13 through 17. That is the main, uh, I know that's a longer chunk, a whole five verses. We don't usually read that large of a chunk of scripture (laughs) on the podcast, but that is like the central pre-trib is going to just say, this is the rapture event described. This is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So like, like you said, this is like the main, the main point where people who, who fall into this pre-trib notion are going to, are going to point to. Um, specifically, like like we said, this is not the second coming, but this is just you know the rapture event as described here. Um, so um, I think now we can like kind of go into some of the other connections, um, some other reasons why why people might might believe this to be true. I think starting, um, I think there's more of a of this focus that you know this tribulation period is is more of of God's focus back on onto Israel during this tribulation period. Um, and, and that the church, um, you know, the bride of Christ will not go through that tribulation period, will not go through God's wrath um, during that tribulation period uh, as like kind of the primary um, reasoning. Although, you know, there is other, you know, reasonings for this besides, you know, believers not being destined to face uh, God's wrath. Um, also, another common viewpoint that people may point may point to is that, you know, this discussion that, um, you know, we don't know when Jesus is coming. And so that, um, the, you know, the idea that this could happen at any moment, you know, this rapture event could happen at any moment. I think those are kind of like the main reasons for why people, you know, believe this viewpoint. I mean, we'll, we'll kind of get into some of those now. So I want to backtrack to something that you said just a minute ago. You said that something about the church not being destined for wrath. So I'm just going to read two verses that are particularly used to defend that notion and the fact that the church doesn't go through it. So the first one is the next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, which says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And then the other one, now we're getting into Revelation territory. Revelation 3, verse 10, which says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so to interpret that, the pre-trib view says that the people of God are kept from the trial to come via a pre-tribulational rapture. And so, like Andre said, okay, so first, that's how they would interpret those verses. That's what comes. That's what comes. The church is taken out before God's wrath is poured out in tribulation time. And so, like Andre said, a key argument with this view is that there is a language in the New Testament about Christ's imminent return, to wait with eagerness, to keep watch. The day is at hand. So those are all central to the view. Um, I do want to go back. So, and Andre also mentioned how God wouldn't let his bride go through. I want to go back to Daniel 9. 
the Daniel 9 talks about how the tribulation is the 70th week in this view, beginning with when the, an antichrist figure makes a covenant with many. And so they would say that the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 takes this end times viewpoint and makes what Matthew is talking about, the final tribulation, and then that leads up to Jesus coming back. And so simply put, if I can summarize everything I just said, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 is a rapt- shows a rapture that occurs before the day of the Lord, and since the day of the Lord is the tribulation, the rapture occurs before the tribulation, so believers are no longer subject to God's wrath. And so that's kind of an overview of that. And then this last thing, just before I kick it back to Andre, in terms of Andre's point uh, for this view that God wouldn't let his bride, the church, go through wrath, this isn't just some like emotional argument based on like, oh, well, this wouldn't make sense. It, it's kind of patterned in scripture in this view that Noah doesn't experience the flood. Lot is removed from Sodom. Those are just two examples from Genesis, but that's kind of where you might find that in scripture. And so those are just a couple more points I might I might put. Yeah, man, and like this view is definitely like supported by like tons of scripture, like you were alluding to. So you know, despite there's you know some people who think you know the pre-trib view is is right or wrong. Not so much that you know you know those people or anyone who you know falls under this viewpoint um, is wrong or right, because you know there's scripture that supports both. It's more of you know there's this discussion that you know people have, and and there's more of a debate about it. Um, because, you know, there's just as valid viewpoints that you're going to see um, here in, in a few minutes about, you know, the other uh, primary viewpoint that we're going to get into. So it, it kind of goes, and, and it's more of like this, like, back and forth um, debate or discussion versus, like, one is, is definitely wrong and one's definitely right. You know, although, you know, we, we do see, you know, those types of arguments and, you know, there are those cases to be made at, at other things uh, regarding our faith. You know, for example, if someone were to come and tell you that, you know, Christ didn't die on the cross and, and didn't rise again, you know, th- then you should, you should have a big issue with that. But this is one of those, you know, times where, you know, there are um, two viewpoints and both are, ha- have tons of scripture that people um, point to and look to when, when supporting those, those, those viewpoints. I think it's important to make that distinction here, um, aside from just, you know, our, our particular viewpoints, whatever they may be. Man, that's so good. Uh, and so I think that creates a great transition for us into the next view. The only thing I want to talk about real quick is, so Andre did a great job in the first episode, very first 10 minutes, I'm pretty sure. Although for us now, that was like almost an hour ago. So I don't really remember. Um, but he did a great job of kind of giving an overview of revelation. So if you're thinking, well, revelations in the future. So if revelations covering this rapture, when does it occur? So this is where we turn to revelation four verse one through two where uh, John is John looks and there's a door standing open in heaven and uh, he writes and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what may, what must take place in this and so John ascends John author of revelation ascends to the heavenly throne room the heavenly uh, court area and so this is taken by the preacher view. This is the rapture that John is like symbolic of the church, that the church is seen in the 24 elders in this passage. And the second claim here in revelation four is that the term for church ecclesia uh, in the Greek doesn't occur from revelation four verse one until revelation 
uh, 19 or so. So the church is not the focus of the tribulation. Israel is. Or if you don't think that God's returning to Israel, it's just that the believers at large aren't in the tribulation. So since God doesn't mention the church specifically, the tribulation period is not about the church. And so we've already, so this, chronologically, we just said that this is the view where the, tri- the rapture occurs before the tribulation. Uh, this is distinct from the second coming. We've already covered briefly mid-trib and pre-wrath view. Uh, views. And so now we get to talk about the the final view where we also get to spend a bit of time. This is the post-tribulation view. Uh, and I will just say before I kick it back to Andre, this is also known as historic premillennialism. Premillennialism, because again, Christ's coming is before the millennium in this view, like the last one. But historic, because historically, this is a very common view, such as with Irenaeus in the second century. And so this view is post-tribulation uh, view, which is also known as historic premillennialism. Uh, so do you want to get us started here? And perhaps even tell us, like, you know, when was this view predominant? When was it a minority view? Did it make a comeback? All that sort of thing. Yeah, so, you know, specifically... You know, like, like you said, you know, when, when was it pre- predominant? Um, you know, by the early 20th century, this pre-trib view uh, was uh, the predominant view. Um, specifically, I think it's I think it's interesting to think about, you know, what some potential um, things that someone who thinks uh, the the post-trib view um, is correct might say to someone who who thinks that the pre-trib view is is correct. Specifically about um, one specific instance, which is. Um, I think the one that, you know, the, the, the pre-trib um, mentality kind of focuses on, which is that idea of, you know, God's wrath um, and that like suffering tribulation period that happens on earth is not, you know, for the church and that, you know, God's going to, you know, protect the church from that. Um, and in this post-trib view, we see specifically that, um, that, you know, keeping the church from that, uh, from God's wrath, you know, that suffering period doesn't particularly mean, you know, this rapture event where the church is removed, but... Um, you know, the post-trib viewpoint is going to point towards uh, the fact that uh, the church is going to instead endure that, um, the tribulation period, um, you know, as post-tribulation implies that the rapture is going to happen after uh, the tribulation period and that, you know, the church will be protected. It's going to endure through that period. And, you know, we're going to see um, more so with this view um, that, you know, this persecution and suffering um, is going uh, to happen, you know, to the people on earth that, you know, the believers will, will you know, will be, um, you know, protected from that, um, sheltered from that, but that, you know, still going to be on earth when that all, you know, goes down. Yeah, I like that distinction. So like Andre said, pre-trib was very predominant in the early 20th century, but as we got later uh, into like the mid 20th century, this view began to make a comeback. And we'll talk about like some writers uh, later on. And uh, actually, I just want to mention real quick, we didn't actually say like somebody that even held the pre-trib view before. And so just one person that holds a pre-trib view, for instance, uh, would have been John MacArthur, who's a very well-known preacher today. Uh, Grace to you ministries, uh, lots of resources there. And so with the post-trib view, I'm just going to name a few people. Uh, I already named Irenaeus for the historic uh, label there, but John Piper holds to this view. Uh, Russell Moore, who we interviewed, holds to this, and actually, most likely, so does Charles Spurgeon. And so now I'm going to pick up where Andre left off. So the idea here, like he said, the church is not going, like when it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're not destined for God's wrath, it's not talking about the tribulation. It's talking about salvation. So we're not destined for eternal condemnation. 
we are destined for salvation. And so the emphasis here is us not going through God's wrath is a final thing, but that the pattern in the Bible, if we're going to go back to Noah, is not that Noah is brought out of the flood and just doesn't even experience it. Noah experiences the flood. He's just protected through it by building the ark. And so same with Israel when they're in Egypt with the plagues in Exodus chapter 11. And just more broadly speaking, God's people are told they're going to go through suffering and tribulations uh, on the earth. So they're going to be protected from it uh, as as Andre said. And so this view would say tribulation language nowhere points to God's wrath coming upon believers. So that's not the point. The point is we'd be sheltered from that, but that we will still be under persecution and suffering during the tribulation period under the power of the Antichrist. And I think that, you know, one of the very interesting things for me to think about that I think is, you know, or, or at least not, not so much in terms of you know, the words themselves in, in Revelation or throughout the Bible, but all, but just the fact that, you know, there's so much information about this period that I think that, you know, this information is here, like, for um, the believer, potentially, uh, to have, like, more of an understanding of what's going going on. And I think that people who uh, potentially are of this uh, post-trib side of the argument um, will point to, like, all this information is to, you know, guide the church so the church is aware um, of all the things that are to come during this this tribulation period. That's good, man. I and mean, I think that's like a yeah. I think it's a very compelling argument that you know all this information exists and it's probably um, you know here for you know believers and that and that I think that's what um, someone of of the post trib mentality will will point to. That's so good. I think that I'll personally just say before we even get to our views. I think that one of the stronger points here is that there perhaps is a better interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 4. So we, I read the whole five verses earlier, uh, and we saw that the Lord, that the, the believers meet the Lord in the air, meet Jesus. And so the word meeting there in the Greek occurs elsewhere only twice in the New Testament. In both places, though, it's where people go out of the city or a place, they meet someone and they return to that place. So post-trib theologians or holders will just say, this is us rising in the air to meet Jesus, and then we return back to earth with Jesus. So this idea of a rapture is just that we meet Jesus and we're back on earth. And if that's the case, then the parousia, which is the word for coming in the Greek, uh, is the second coming of Jesus. And so the rapture and the second coming are just the same event. So for the post-trib view, once the church goes through the tribulation, the rapture is the second coming and Jesus returns. And so this is kind of made through a parallel between 1 Thessalonians 4, Daniel 12, and then what Jesus has to say about it. But that is kind of how they might approach chapter 4. And then with chapter 5, they're saying the us versus them language of chapter 5 isn't about like, oh, we're separated from unbelievers, we're taken out of the rapture. It's just that we experience it differently because we're sheltered, we're we're a believer. And so that's just kind of some some things about how they uh, address 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, but do you want to perhaps talk about uh, Matthew 24 and Mark 13? We're going to cover this on the podcast a little bit, uh, but do you want to maybe talk about how this view might approach that? Yeah, man, for sure. So looking at uh, Matthew 24 and, you know, why this is another um, argument, a strong argument for, you know, the post-tribulation view, uh, specifically um, in, you know, Matthew chapter 24, looking at, you know, verses uh, 29 um, and 30, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven a sign of the Son of Man, 
Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this passage here is actually, I would say, like a strong argument for this post-trib view. Specifically, you know, if you want to check out, you know, it's it's parallel Mark chapter 13 on the podcast. That's episode 49 for you guys. But also here, you know, thinking that, you know, believers are waiting for this tribulation period to, to come to an end. And, you know, they're in expectation for Jesus to return after this tribulation period. And that, you know, believers are, you know, gathered in, in, in expectation of Jesus' coming. Um, specifically here, you see, you know, some imagery of, of, you know, what's specifically going on in terms of like what, what these, what the believers will be seeing. Um, and, you know, this is another, you know, strong argument that people who, who fall into this post-trib view will point to. That's really good. And so Matthew 24, he's talking about the abomination of desolation, talking about the elect believers being gathered at the return uh, of the Messiah, the return of Jesus. And so this is relating back to, again, like I said, in the pre-trib view, Daniel chapter nine. And so some post-trib people might say that these entire Daniel nine events were fulfilled in the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Others might say that this is a future period where nations gather against God and an antichrist figure seeks to end sacrifice and worship of God. And so judgment is poured out on the antichrist figure at the end of the 70th week, which is either all of church history or a future seven-year period. And so that's kind of how it, taking what Andre just talked about and connecting it back to Daniel 9, that's how they might say those uh, two things. And then just one other thing that I'll say on this view before uh, we potentially get into viewpoints or just anything else that Andre wants to uh, guide us to is that this viewpoint would say that uh, it, the pre-trib rapture, the idea of a secret coming doesn't make a lot of sense in light of the fact that in First Thessalonians 4, there's a loud voice and there's a trumpet. So that doesn't really make sense in light of there being a secret. And if you're just told to keep watch, most of those exhortations are just to tell you to be expectant, to be alert. doesn't mean that the rapture could just occur at any moment. And so in light of that rapture not occurring at any moment or looking at where it might be, this view would say if you turn to Revelation 4 where supposedly the rapture happened, the church... Uh, is not mentioned in those verses. It's just part of John's visionary experience. And the church is not mentioned for the 16 straight chapters in Revelation because John would never, John never in the New Testament uses the word ecclesia to talk about the universal church. So the only time local church is used when John writes is to talk about the local church, which are the, what Jesus addresses in those first three chapters. What Andre said in the first episode were those uh, letters to those seven churches. And so... This is just saying, uh, this is not the rapture. This is just part of John's experience. And uh, Andre, I know you're looking at the clock, but I hope that that kind of wrapped up the post-trib view, unless you have anything else. But that was just kind of a couple more points that this view might espouse. No, no, that's that's really good. And not not too worried about time. I think we're doing pretty well. I think it might be interesting to you know before we we talk about some some of the resources aside from you know you know reading your Bible, you know having conversations with other people who are more knowledgeable, uh, who've studied Revelation, you know, want to get into some of the resources that, you know, we can point listeners to. But before that, maybe give, um, like, very quickly some of our, you know, maybe personal viewpoints, not get, like, too deep into it, but maybe just the most compelling argument on the side we fall under, maybe, and then as well as, the, you know, a compelling argument that we that we see for the other side. And, and I can go first there. 
I would say that's good because if you think about our two viewpoints chronologically, you're first. So kick us off. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So I guess Michael, here kind of, he kind of ruined the surprise for people who've been, you know, listening since last week and and waiting (laughs) for this month. But, but I would say that, yeah, I fall more under the, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church viewpoint. I think that, you know, the most compelling uh, to me is, is that, First uh, Thessalonians um, section, which you know, which we discussed, um, and kind of seeing it there as that being that rapture event that happens, that isn't that the second coming of, of Christ, and that um, you know the church is being taken out of of this coming, um, this coming uh, uh, tribulation period. And I would say, you know, in terms of thinking of the post tribute, um, I definitely like am compelled by many of the arguments, you know, specifically. Uh, like I said, you know, there's so much information in the Bible about this tribulation period. I'm um, in the book of Revelation that I think um, that a lot of that information is specifically for believers. Um, I, I can't imagine who else that information would be for. So that is definitely a, a compelling point to think about for me. And, you know, definitely like all the other points that we discussed on, on both sides and all the verses, I, you know, I've definitely taken all of those into account. Um, and I'm definitely not saying that one view is potentially right um, or wrong, but, you know, that's just kind of what my beliefs are. And that's kind of my hope as well is that, you know, we won't have to go through this tribulation period either as well. But uh, you want to go into into your viewpoint and potentially some compelling arguments for yourself? Yeah, so I've kind of we've kind of given a lot of the viewpoints for both. So I'll just kind of give an overview. I do hold to the historic premillennialism view, which is the post-tribulation view. Uh, this always makes me laugh when I think about this. And this is one of the topics I'm most interested in. So I'm thinking about this a lot, but it's just so funny to me because the first semester I ever taught a Bible study was senior year of high school. And uh, it wasn't that I was like out of topics to talk about, but I did want to integrate it to some of the uh, guys that I was teaching and like what they were interested in. And it was a group of baseball players from my high school. And I said, oh, what do you guys like? What would you guys like to learn about? What do you want to do a lesson on? And, you know, I was willing to do the research. I was willing to look into it. I was willing to figure these things out. And so I taught a lesson on a different view. They said, let's, let's teach, let's uh, talk about the rapture. And I was like, oh gosh, I just starting, I don't know anything about this. This was like the month into this Bible study. And I taught a pre-tribulation view, which I held to at the time. And so I do find appealing pieces uh, in this argument that Andre holds, uh, not uh, nothing to do with a refocus on Israel, but just as seeing that's how it'll happen. Uh, I do think that there is language in First Thessalonians 4 that's compelling. And I do think this view handles Daniel chapter 9 in particular really very well. I read Stephen Miller's commentary on Daniel and found his, his views, which line up with Andre's, to be very, very compelling. Ultimately, to me, though, it's natural to assume that the rapture and the resurrection of the dead at the second coming are the same event. Uh, I just don't feel like the burden of proof on the pre-tribulation side to make those two separate events uh, are substantial enough. And so I think that Mark 13, uh, which we're going to, which is uh, the, this, this Monday's, which is this Monday's uh, episode that we just uh, passed on Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse, I feel like that points to a post-trib rapture. Lastly, and I guess I could have said this as some of the arguments under the post-trib view, but it's interesting to me that Paul comforts the Thessalonians by telling them that the return of Jesus has not happened yet, and the proof of that is that the Antichrist has not been unveiled. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2. So a pre-trib view would say that the believers are taken away before Antichrist ascends to power, 
but then it would it wouldn't make sense that that's how he comforts them. And second, and uh, I guess lastly, uh, now on these new points, is just that I feel like it handles inaugurated eschatology better. That God, that's a fancy word. Just that God's kingdom is already, but not yet. It's already breaking forth, but it's not fully consummated. And so it can be seen in the New Testament how that's already ushered forward in Jesus's day. And Greg Beale talks a lot about this, but basically how Christ and the church begin to fulfill Old Testament prophecies concerning uh, tribulation and the end time kingdom in the New Testament into today. And so I feel like it handles that uh, quite, this view handles that quite well uh, too. So I just feel like uh, this side is more compelling, but again, Andre and I are here in community uh, talking about it. And so, man, do you just want to kick us off as we close? How can we think about like charity around these issues? What, what would, what would be helpful to think about in terms of disagreeing with people on this issue? Yeah, I think it's something that we've kind of alluded to this throughout this whole episode. And I hope that came across that, you know, in episode one of this, uh, two part little series on revelation, we talked about how, um, there are some things, uh, maybe actually potentially was in, in, in episode two, but Besides the point that there are some things that, you know, we should be really worried if, if believers are telling you, you know, that's not true. For example, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. You know, that's an example of something that's, uh, you know, it's it's worth dying for. There's other things that are potentially worth debating over, uh, just debating over and not uh, getting into, you know, extreme disagreements with other believers and, and ruining, you know, those uh, community, you know, like relationships that we have. Um, for example, Michael and I gain a lot from talking about talking about and talking through these viewpoints, and and we both um, fall under a different view, and we can still gain a lot from discussing, you know, which uh, viewpoints we find to be compelling to ourselves. And then there's a whole a third idea in the middle where um, there's some, you know, theological ideas which are which have caused divisions in the church. You know, for example, in terms of baptism, if we should baptize, uh, you know, um, infants such as people once they become believers. I mean, and, you know, we don't really think that this is really an issue that should cause uh, divisions uh, between churches, and, and, it, and it hasn't um, historically. And I think that, you know, we should keep in mind that, you know, there's compelling arguments from both sides, and we should, you know, just be um, hopeful and focus more on, on the fact that Jesus is returning one day. We should understand that, you know, there will be judgment on the earth and the sin on the earth, um, and we should just be um, hopeful and in expectation of that new of the new heaven and new earth, um, that where believers will get to spend eternity um, in God's presence. Um, just continue to have those conversations with one another and talk about uh, Revelation. There's a lot to learn, a lot to gain uh, from studying it. I didn't plan on saying this, but this helps me a tie off the chronology or like just the order of what's going on in the end times and charity. This conversation we're having now. And so just think about Andre and I's views. We both hold that we are in an age in which Jesus has ascended and he's going to come back one day. We believe that there's going to be a future tribulation. Andre feels that we will be raptured before that. I think we'll go through that. That's okay. We're in disagreement over that, but we agree that there will be a time of tribulation with an antichrist figure. Uh, and then we feel that at Jesus's return, at the end of the tribulation, we both view before the millennium, both pre-millennialism, and then, uh, then Jesus will usher in the millennium and then the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, as we talked about uh, in an episode on God's or on the best present, God's presence. And so there's a lot of disagreement. There's a, there's a few disagreeing points there about the tribulation and the rapture, but overall there's a lot of ground of agreement and he gave some great points on charity. And so I just want to, uh, do you care if I like kick us off kind of thinking about resources or do you want to maybe intro some of that? 
No, man, how about you just give some resources really quick, and then uh, I think we'll we'll pretty much wrap up there. I don't really have anything else okay. um, on my end, so yeah. Okay, sounds good. So the, the best resource, and I'm never going to say anything else, is the Bible. Read it first, and then consult people uh, whom, God, whom God has gifted with teaching, and who God has given a clear explanation of the text. And uh, outside of that, you know, have conversations with community. Don't reach uh, strong viewpoints on your own. Andre and I are having these conversations. I'm having these conversations with other people. So uh, the Bible is central, and so is community of believers. Uh, and then just these are books that I found helpful and others have found helpful. Some of them are around me. Some of them aren't. On the Rapture and the Tribulation, uh, which I've read recently, a good overview a good overview book is Three Views on the Rapture. Uh, on the Millennium, a good overview book is The Millennial Maze. Uh, for the pre-tribulation view, John MacArthur has a book on Revelation, a two-part commentary on Revelation, and he's preached through Revelation. So that's very comprehensive from MacArthur. Uh, for post-tribulation view, George Eldon Ladd, who's great. He's written a commentary on Revelation. He's written a book called The Blessed Hope. There's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and then... Uh, there are some resources on the pre-wrath and mid-trib views. I know we didn't spend a lot of time there. Marvin Rosenthal and Oliver Buswell have written stuff there. And uh, lastly, I do want to offer this. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone's interested, but I know there's a lot here. So if you would like our episode notes, if you want those, you can email us or uh, let us know. We will straighten those up and post them online on these episode notes or on a, a blog site or just anything like that uh, to have access to if somebody's interested in that uh, as well. But those would be all my resources. And uh, I'll just say it's been over an hour of recording these two-part episodes uh, at this point, when this releases, my semester should be over. And man, I've uh, enjoyed having this conversation with you. Yeah, me too, man. This was a really fun episode. And I will see you guys back next week. Hope you guys learned something from this episode and, and, I hope and got something. a lot to gain. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we definitely enjoyed recording it. So we'll get we'll catch up with you guys next week. Hope this conversation was fruitful. Cool.